Hello again, dear listener. This, as you probably assumed, is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on November 27th, 2017 at the Lido, which is on their traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, or Vancouver, B.C. You'll be hearing from some of the awesome lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Samantha Nock, Sheena Kamal, and Emma Cooper. And throughout this episode, you'll hear music from Ace Martins, who you can find on Bandcamp. The track we've started the show with today is called Somebody Else. And I'm your host, Cole Nowicki. Let's, uh, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. This, no, th- no, this is great. This is, uh, this is what I needed. I needed to be here in this room, good vibes, because I, I recently got some not-so-great news. You could probably call it bad news. And that is that my, uh, my bicycle has died. My bike is dead. It, is, uh, it has suffered irreparable damage. Um, and I had to, I had to put it out to pasture. I had to take it behind the, the Arby's. It's uh, <laughs> it's done. And this may seem kind of trivial, but I've I've been riding that thing around for almost a decade. It has literally carried me all over the city for almost ten years. That's you grow, you get an attachment to those sort of things, and uh, it hit me hard. And I, I had. Uh, I've written a short story about my bike that I'm going to share with you. It's it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty rough. It's just like a lot of raw emotion on these pages. And uh, I think this is going to be good for me to share, so thank you. And it, it doesn't even have a name yet. That's how how raw this nerve is. And I know no one needs a water bottle this big. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start now. I had never seen a dog smile with such humanity. I scratch it behind the ears, on its flanks, and at the base of its rump, where in the little fleshy divot where ass becomes tail. Throughout all the scratching, the dog beams, wags, and is as appreciative as I've ever seen any human for anything ever. I want to thank it for its thankfulness, and I do, by scratching it more. The dog smiles. I smile back. The two of us continue grinning at one another, our teeth reflecting afternoon sun like we were trying to signal an SOS to the people in the office towers above. Help, look how dangerously fucking cute we are. We finally look away and I return to my bike, which teeters against a street sign. That's when I notice the damage. The crack at the base of the seat post I'd tried to ignore by putting a sticker of a bedazzled caterpillar over it is no longer just an ominous sliver capable of being hid. The crack now open in a wide, jagged smirk. The seat tipped back like a Pez dispenser. No condition to hold my butt. 
Two joggers stop jogging, becoming just people inside of Lycra, and pet the dog from all angles as I try to figure out what to do. They ask the dog questions in a language it doesn't understand, in a tone that most earthly creatures would find offensive. The dog, not tied to anything or beholden to anyone, gets up and circles away from the aggressive petting and baby battle, no longer smiling. That is one lonely dog, a jogger says. Oh, for sure, the stories those eyes tell, I mean, just look at it. Definitely hasn't been brushed in ages. It's got to be a stray, says the other. I bet it's like that one dog in Japan who used to meet its owner at the train station when he got off from work every day, and then when the owner died, it still kept going and just like sat there waiting until it died. Real sad stuff. Anyways, there's a statue of it at the station now, and I think if you rub its belly, it's good luck or something. Oh, that's nice, so it's not all, it's not all bad. Totally. They both look to the dog, projecting tales of memeable heartbreak onto it before it patters off down the sidewalk without looking back. As the, jog as the joggers talk about the purity of the canine soul, I start to twist and pull on the broken bike seat, the metal screeching and me grunting until it eventually snaps off from the post and I put it into my backpack. <laughs> Burrard Street is chaos at lunch hour. Hordes of hungry business people start and stop as traffic lights at intersections curb and usher their flow. I pedal down the street beside them, careful not to puncture my buttocks on the metal splinters of my seat post. <laughs> the last time I'd gone to the bike shop, they refused to give me a tune-up, saying my bike was a hazard and a liability on the road. <laughs> the mechanic pointed to the crack I eventually stickered over, the other crack near the crank, the many missing spokes and the way the front forks bend like they're curling dumbbells. He says these are reasons for concern. And then the bike mechanic explained further. He said riding my bike in the state it's in would be like getting into an Uber where the driver is suffering from a gunshot wound to the abdomen. <laughs> sure, you may get where you're going, but depending on the severity of the injury, whether the bullet hit any vital organs, the time it'll take for them to bleed out, etc., the driver might die before reaching the destination, likely crashing and injuring me and others in the vicinity once doing so. Confused by the violent analogy, I asked the mechanic who the driver was in that scenario. He said, my bike. And wh why would anyone want to shoot my bike? He shrugged and said that wasn't important. I appreciated the mechanic's concern for my safety and his vivid descriptors. He just didn't fully understand. Yes, the bike was dangerous and I endanger everyone around me by continuing to ride it, but it has history. Each wheeze of the tired frame and croak of worn bearings is of sentimental value and that it needs to be respected. I tried to explain to the mechanic. It's like if my bike, the Uber driver, is driving around with its abdomen wound, likely on the verge of death, and you don't allow the dignity of living out its final moments the way it pleases by letting it give me rides to work and back home early from the bar after probably having pretty bad indigestion. <laughs> he was silent before letting me know that he had lots of work to do and that he wished me luck on the road. Focusing on the percussion of the loose spokes in my bicycle, focusing on the percussion of the loose spokes in my bicycle tires thwacking against one another helps to distract. It's easy to get absorbed in its rhythm, the way it rises and falls as I force a single speed up and down city streets. Work deadlines, relationship troubles, the imminent death of the bike I'm currently riding, there's no room for those thoughts in my head when I'm on the road. Thwack, thwack, thwack. 
That's the only occupant. The Burrard Street lunch rush doesn't feel the same. They gawk. Other cyclists keep their distance like I'm contagious, as if riding through the same air will cause their bikes to rust and crumble. When I get to the cafe, I rest my bicycle against a tree outside. I don't need to lock it. The state it's in is unfortunately more of a crime than it's theft. <laughs> From the cafe's makeshift patio of a few folding chairs and what might be an upside-down crokinole table, I drink coffee and watch people watch my bike. <laughs> Two young girls take photos of it, loitering for a time as they apply the perfect Instagram filters. A man with a beard and thick-rimmed glasses inspects it nodding his head before returning to his girlfriend to tell her. What a shame. That Fuji frame is a classic. <laughs> and that's, that's just what it's become now. My bike, it's, it's an indignity, a nostalgia. No longer is it the steady, reliable machine that I proudly sweat and traveled on nearly every day of the year for almost a decade. So many memories captured in its molded steel. Like the, time I, like the time the ice cream truck driver sold me a freezer burnt Itzika doozy and I successfully chased him down Cordova Street and demanded a refund. <laughs> or when I was on a first date and my front tire hit and slipped out on a pigeon carcass, pitching me to the asphalt. All notable moments that were as much mine as the bikes and I'm the only one left who appreciates them. Beard guy mourns the bike for its make, not its experience. Suddenly, my hand is wet, and it's the dog, again at my side, smiling with his tongue flopped out of its mouth like it's given up trying to contain it. It licks my hand one more time, and I give its head a scratch, and we smile. There's recognition there. This creature respects the memory we shared, and it's moved to affection. We've developed an attachment based on substance, not service-level aesthetic. This dog gets it. I scratch it under the chin before it pads over to the bike and sniffs it, taking its time appreciating its scent, staring at the rear wheel, starting at the rear wheel, moving along the frame, past the crank, to the front wheel where it stops, lifts its leg, and pees. And that, that was it. I feel better. Thanks for listening. Um, on, a, on a brighter note, I did get a new bike yesterday. I've, I've already forgotten about the old one. Up first is Samantha Nock, a talented Cree Métis poet from Treaty 8 territory in Northeast BC. She runs a blog called Half-Breeds Reasoning and co-organizes a great bi-monthly community poetry night called Poetry is Bad for You. Here's Samantha. Uh, Tansy, Sam, Nati Kassan, Dawson Creek, Otsinia, Maga Mafemi, Sigirawak, Otsinianan, Hi, my name's Sam. Um, I come from, my family comes from Alla Cross, or Sigitawak in northern Saskatchewan. I grew up in Treaty 8 territory in Dawson Creek, BC. Don't go there, it's sad and small. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that we're on the unceded ancestral territories of the Squamish, Squamish Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Really fucking nervous right now. That's why I got this beer. Thank you. Um, I have some poems I'm going to read. 
going to bring down the mood a little bit. Not sorry. <laughs> um, this first one I'm going to read. Um, it's been a, it was a hard day today. It was a really hard day today. There was a passing um, of this woman named Marlene Bird. And uh, you need to look her up. I'm not going to go too much into her story because I think she deserves more than her story. Um, but she died unjustly. And it's heartbreaking and it's sad. And uh, she's a Cree woman from Saskatchewan, like my people. And uh, this one's for Marlene. There's a Cheyenne saying that reads, a nation is not conquered until the hearts of its women are on the ground. I think some time ago, my ancestors, she buried her heart in her soil. She buried her generations of love, her generations of anger, in northern prairie earth, letting roots rend her ventricles apart so that we could grow strong and mad from northern prairie muskeg. Her tendril veins grew into white birch, shedding her skin with every passing season. When the wind blows through her leaves, you can hear her whispering, you hurt one of us, you hurt all of us. We take her paper bark skin and cover our own skin, and this is how we protect ourselves from the threat of violence and from the acts of violence that were more than a threat. It's with her skin covering our skin that we have perfected wrapping ourselves in ourselves. I have grown out of cold northern muskeg with a wooden core and paper bark skin. I know how to listen to the memories planted in the earth from the women before me with lessons that are hidden in my mitochondria. No woman is defeated when her heart is in the ground. She's planting seeds to grow future generations with connected roots that have learned how to survive a cold winter. Gotta take a drink. Um, so, I'm 25 and I don't know how to ride a bike. Never learned. And so this summer, my housemates were like, we're going to teach you how to ride a bike. And I was like, that's a really good joke, guys. You can laugh at me not learning how to ride a bike. It's fine. Um, it's Creek tradition that when you read something really sad, you need to just like laugh immediately. Because um, you're uncomfortable, and colonialism makes you really uncomfortable with everything. Um, so uh, I tried to learn how to ride a bike, and I couldn't do it. And when you don't know how to do things, you write poems. Um, <laughs> So I wrote this. <laughs> Today I started to learn how to ride a bike. I hate it so much that I Google that if bikes are a form of colonization. <laughs> I'm waiting for summer to melt to fall. We're all hoping to make it to the next season unscathed. I managed to fall into the bushes without even moving. I have bruises on my thighs from trying to balance myself. If growing has taught me anything, it's that you can survive any change by embracing your body's natural ability to adapt. I laugh loudly from the bushes I fall into and pick twigs out of my hair and try to balance myself on the too high seat. Feeling isolated and alone is easy when you learn how to make friends with your intrusive thoughts. It's easier to balance if you have momentum, but that would mean I'd have to leave the comfort of our backyard and the promised cushion of falling on soft grass. Kotu pisum means eclipse. Kotu means he buries himself under and disappears. I realized it's ridiculous that I'm learning a basic skill most people have learned as children in my mid-20s. It's easier to fall down when you're a child. It's easier to laugh at yourself when you're older. 
The amount of half-finished CBT workshop worksheets that are sitting on my desk are giving me anxiety, and I'm aware of the irony. The next time I try, I agree that I'll take the bike to the back alley despite the promise of falling on hard cement. I can't start a worksheet unless I have perfectly printed my name and date on the top. And if it's too messy, I have to throw it out and start again. I'll hold the back and I'll hold the front. We'll help you balance so that you can feel, so you can get a feel of what it's like to try and pedal. Most things are too messy and I have to throw them out and start again. I find it touching and charming that two women are offering to hold the handlebars in a seat of a grown person in order to help her balance. I'm sure a women's studies undergraduate would call this feminism. It's a funny punishment to be both a tender and a hard thing. Maybe it is feminism. I don't know when the season's cycle begins and ends, but I know that there are, there are more than four changes that happen in a year because we have words for the in-betweens. I've never cared much for discourse, but we have plans for someone to hold the handlebars and for someone to hold the seat so I can lift my feet off the ground. There are no in-betweens in English. I tell them both that I hate learning how to ride a bike. No one likes to learn how to ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> no. I wasn't just taking a drink break, so I could be like, now's the time to clap, guys. I don't know. Uh, if you ever want to learn how fast you can drink a beer, read poetry in front of people, and you learn. Um, so I got uh, about three more. I'm going to fly through because I'm worried about my time. Um, so this next one's about the magic of Cree laughter. I wonder if it's disrespectful to be depressed on someone else's territory. Cree cackles are the melody to half-breed sadness. Can this land hold us holy? I keep writing to create a different world, but I don't know if you can create worlds using this language that is punctuated with its history of forest syntax. How many more Munya Wak are going to tell me I'm so well-spoken? Growing up, we learned from Cookham to tell a dirty joke and follow it by your saddest confession. I'm not so well-spoken on the phone with my mom when the northern crawls back in, and I slip back into the belonging I tried not to belong to when I went to university because the rich white boy down the hall made jokes that I grew up in a trailer park. There's nothing wrong with growing up in a trailer park, but I did know how to tell him that even his white boy imaginations of poverty were so far off. I laugh well. I laugh futures into existence. I laugh loud and energetic because this existence is funny, deeply ironic, and unexpected. In high school social studies, we had to write a paper on if Louis was insane or sane. Looking at pictures of your kin listening to your teacher who smells like dust and colonialism tell you that Louis was a murderer, a crazy murderer, a crazy treasonous murderer. I grew up with Louis's picture next to Jesus's, and I say that he was the leader of us, I get a C minus because I don't know what a heretic is. The future is auntie sitting at kitchen table, laughing and drinking tea and swearing because we survived and we got to make a joke of it. All right, I got two more. <laughs> Just realized I got on this stage and I have no idea how I'm getting off this stage. Um, so when I go to exit, if you could all just stare at the window, that'd be beautiful. Alright. Um, so the next two are about my experience trying to love white boys. It doesn't end so well. There's a white boy sitting next to you, just be like, it doesn't end so well. Just so he knows. Um, 
I really appreciate the laughs I'm getting from this side of the room. Um, um, so this one call, this one is called There's No Word for Decolonial Love in My Language. Oh, where are the pages? There are the pages. Okay. Maybe I'm an eternal optimist. I've entangled my fingers in the hair of others, searching for signs of life. I've traced capillaries on the back of arms, following them like trap lines in the dead of winter. I'm sorry that my self-realization had to happen on your back, but your back was the map I needed to try and find a way back to myself. The skin is where I call home, but the skin has been loved and unloved into oblivion. I miss the sound of snow falling on snow. No one tells you that the tragedy of loving is spending hours lost in your own mind. I tell myself that whatever happens, happens, and that despite all of that I've survived, I can survive getting lost in someone's hands. Maybe this is why I'm an eternal optimist. This body, my body, is not a site of ideal desire. This body, my body, is a never-ending battle and disappointment, but its existence is its very proof of my survival. This body, my body, hides memories in my cells, connecting me to stories whispered to snow falling on pine trees at midnight. We only tell our stories in winter. Maybe I'm an eternal optimist because I've learned wayfinding by counting the vertebrae of lovers I've never loved, and by counting the teeth of lovers that have never loved me. But despite having to use humans as maps, I continue to get lost, hoping I'll no longer have to leave trails of hair strands at the foot of beds in order to, way find, in order to find a way back to myself and my eternal optimism. All right, I got one more. You've all been really generous, thank you. Um, so this one is uh, one I wrote a while ago, um, probably about a year ago when I told somebody I loved them and he was like, it's chill, let's be friends. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's be friends. This is so good. Never loved being friends so much. It was a fine friendship. It ended, but it was a fine friendship. <laughs> um, I'm so over it, can't you tell? Um, <laughs> that's why I still rake him through the coals with this poem. <laughs> he's not here, or maybe he's in the lineup outside. I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, <this is laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I hope he's not here. Uh, <laughs> this one's called Learning the Definition of Unrequited. Um, just for a little preface for this poem, I was trying to figure out how to deal with unrequited love, so I went to Google, as you do, and I found a WikiHow article, and it was so good, and so didn't help. Um, so I wrote this in a, like how you, a WikiHow article ago. Um, so learning the definition of unrequited. Step one, wash your hair. Stand in the shower and turn the water as hot as your skin will take, pause. Stay until the water is cold. Step two, accidentally let your hands brush theirs. Count the seconds until you have your first intrusive thought. Count the seconds until you have your second, third, fourth. Don't touch reality until your next shower. Step three, stretch your skin until it's tight. Make a rattle with your bones. Dance. You don't ask Manitowoc for much, but maybe you will for this. The smoke from these late night cigarettes is an offering. Step four, maybe lonely is apologizing. Step five, 
Understand the irony of chasing Munyo, Nepe, Wak, laugh until your lungs are empty. Step six, Kiam, but do so loudly. Is this ceremony? Step seven, continuously look for hope in dilated pupils. Get lost, follow the North Star home, find the wrong constellation on purpose. Step eight, maybe you missed the listen of the impossibility of loving someone the way you love. Maybe you miss the impossibility of loving someone until they love you the way you want them to. Step nine, mourn, grieve, make friends with the ghosts that you find at night. Step 10, gather pine boughs and goose down. You've made your bed. Thank you all so much. You've been wonderful. Our next storyteller was born in the Caribbean and immigrated to Canada as a child. She holds an HBA in political science from the University of Toronto and was awarded a TD Canada Trust Scholarship for community leadership and activism around the issue of homelessness. Her debut thriller, The Lost Ones, has been sold in over 15 countries and is a Globe and Mail bestseller. The sequel to The Lost Ones will be published in July 2018. Here's Sheena Kamal. Lost Ones. Um, I'm not going to be reading from it tonight because I did something a little bad in that I ignored my editor and I wrote a different book uh, recently. And so, um, so I'm, it's a bit experimental. Um, it is a very dark YA young adult novel about a young Muay Thai fighter who starts to suspect that her mother killed her father. And that the other women in her life were in on it. Not only that, they're planning on killing another man. So it's kind of crime-oriented. It delves into Caribbean mythology a little bit and has some supernatural elements. But really, it looks at um, the connection between domestic violence and violence through the sport of Muay Thai, which is a form of kick kickboxing that I've done uh, on and off. I don't know, I would say about 10 years. Um, my best friend owns a Muay Thai gym in Toronto and I get a free membership. So I train there quite a bit when I'm in Toronto. Um, so yeah, so this is it. It's called One Two Slip, which is, um, it's, a, it's a fighting combo, it's a boxing combo. Um, here we go. This is what you'll remember. It was a dark, rainy night and there was no moon out. A story that ends with a thud. Your father's face. A shadow in the woods. A slide into a nightmare. Okay. Rule number one of being a woman from Trinidad. Be hella fierce. I'm not kidding. This is the rule. Not only will people expect you to be educated, have a job and provide, you must also have it in you to be an all-round queen. Look after whatever stray children happen to wander your way. Drop everything and whip up some roti on a whim. Plus, you will be fetishized like crazy, and you need to be prepared for the sexual energy that random assholes will want you to expend whenever a baseline pulses through your prodigious hips. Courtesy of the grand bacchanalia that is Trinidad Carnival, People will look at you and imagine you in barely there sparkling costumes with your tits out and your ass exposed to the warm sunshine, shaking and backing back on whatever sweaty crotch just so happens to be there for a well-timed joke. 
What about the men? Some people might ask. Idiots, mostly. What about them? The men, they don't matter, not one bit. They are good for a poke in the night. Two sapadilla and a nine-inch banana, as the calypso goes. <laughs> We're not subtle people. Um, but not much more than that. I've got hordes of useless uncles and semi-uncles and people I'm just supposed to call uncle even though we're not related, to prove my point. What they do best is disappear. Even when they're right in front of you, they're somewhere else, forever playing cards in the rum shops of their minds. It's the women that stay. They're with you even when they're not there. They give you pieces of their souls, jagged, pointy things, and you can never give them back no matter how much you want to. No matter how much these pieces cut you and make you bleed for them over and over. The women of my family are both warriors and witches, creatures of the night, vampires that haunt the dreams of, Car of Caribbean children, sukuyas who will suck the life right out of you and burn you with our flames. I first begin to suspect this when my father dies, right after Mr. Abdi gives me a book about a sukuya living in my hood. Fiction, he says. Yeah, right. Like women who take everything you have and keep wanting more could ever be some made-up shit in the pages of a book. We are the saddest women you ever saw at a funeral service, but after the people leave our house with their bellies full of dalpuri, curry goats, and sahina, all of a sudden it feels different somehow. Lighter. Like how my arms feel at the gym after crew makes me punch with weights for what seems like hours. Like they could float away. I walk into the kitchen of our house in the east end of Toronto and I feel this, this airiness about my mother. The grief she should feel over the death of her husband is somewhere in the wind, far away from here. Maybe her sadness joined him in a nearby rum shop, no doubt where his spirit flew when it exited his mutilated body. Even in her black dress, her face bare of makeup, her hair pulled back into a tight bun, she is light itself in this moment. Which is weird, right? And it's like I'm waking up from a dream. I see the smile that my mother gives to my auntie Kavita. Pammy, our next door neighbor, comes in and grins at them both. A pit of dread opens up inside me because it's like I'm not even there and they're sharing something that I should not be seeing. I don't want to know these things that they know. I don't want to see the secret smiles while my father's ashes sit in an urn on the mantle. Pammy's inclusion in whatever's happening here shocks me. We are the witchiest of warriors if we're starting to corrupt the white people in the neighborhood, too. Make them into killers, like us. Thank you very much. Our final storyteller of the evening was another talented comedian and co-producer of the incredibly popular independent comedy show, Rape is Real and Everywhere which toured through 13 Canadian cities last year with the aim of helping audiences process their assaults and feel like they are not alone by sharing a big, cathartic laugh. Here's Emma Cooper. Keep it going for Cole. This is, this is kind of lovely. It's kind of it's great. Uh, I was going to get my life together and try and record this, so just give me 25 minutes because I'm an old millennial. Cool. Oh, fuck, I don't know. It's not happening. All right. Um, guys, I don't want to brag, um, but I've got this face. And uh, 
This is a face that people want to tell. Like, they want to tell a sad story to this face. That's what's happening up here. People are like, this is a face you just want to... I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, I've never told anyone this, but... And you're like, try me. Cool. Uh, this is a face that hears about a lot of trauma on the bus. You know what I mean? I got that face. Some of you gentle people also have that face. Um... No one knows what gender this face is, but they do want to tell it about why they're going to the doctor's office on a Tuesday, so that's fun. I, uh, um, I'm not sure. I, I, I've been thinking about gender, and I wish I had some like more solid conclusions to present to you, uh, but I, uh, I've been thinking about my, my own gender a little bit. I, I, first, I didn't realize how hard like gender uh, androgynous, confusing for some people, I was signaling uh, until the other day when I was walking home at night and uh, I saw a woman in the distance and she saw me and she did that thing that you do sometimes, ladies, uh, where she kind of casually crossed over to the other side of the street. You know that <laughs> sweet move? Yeah, and I wasn't, I was, I was mad. And I wasn't mad because she thought I was a man because I like... I'm I'm six one and I dress like a Backstreet Boy. Like I get it. That's fine. Like that's legit. You know what I mean? Uh, someone's like, that's true. Great. Thank you. Thank you for remembering the '90s and confirming that. Beautiful. Uh, I, I wasn't mad that she thought I was an attacker even because just stay safe at night. The world's weird. Uh, I was super pissed off though that she thought I was so out of shape that I couldn't go get her because I could get you. You know what I mean? Like I could. I could get you which is also how I opened the rape show, which uh, survivors respond better than you would think to that one, which is good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I've been thinking about gender, and I, again, no conclusions, but I was just, I've just been called a woman my, or a girl my whole life, and then I was like, well, what if I'm not that? Uh, and I'm like, well, if I swing all the way over to the other side of the thing, like, I don't, I don't know if I can swing all the way over. Like, I don't know if I can swing all the way over, because then I would be um, a white man, and I don't, it's just not a good time to join the team, you know? It's just not, I mean, if you're going to join the team, join in the 1950s, you know, and it's just not, 2017 is not the time um, to join the team. Who would I blog about, you know what I mean? I don't know who I would blog about. I'd have to find a whole different group of people to blog about. Um, so I don't, I don't think I can pull that off. But also, I feel like, it seems that like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, but it seems to me that um, we don't let men have feelings, you know? And I know some of you guys have worked really hard to get there and good for you, but like generally, like I'm from Nanaimo, the, the, like, you know, we let men have like the wall punch in Nanaimo. That's kind of, you know, the, put your whole, like, put your feelings through the hole in the gyp rock, you know what I mean? It's a, uh, you know, it's good. Um, but I got more range, so I was like, I can't do that all. And, but on the other side of it, it seems to me that we tell women, um, don't take up, like, any space at all. <laughs> and if you're like a brazen hussy, you're like, I got a question in the front row. And they're like, it's a lecture hall, don't ask questions. And you're like, no, really. Uh, like, like, don't, like, do you mean, like, don't take up any space, like, like physically, like, eat less food, so you're sort of, sli like, in the high heels, you're sort of slimmer? Or do you mean just, like, don't take up, like, space in the conversation, keep your thoughts on the inside and nod vigorously? Or do you just mean, like, never receive sexual gratification? And it's like, oh, it's a riddle, figure it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, sweet. <laughs> One person's excited, everyone else who's like feminine is just like, yeah, you fucking describe my day. I want a punchline, mofo, <laughs> you know? It's fair. Um, 
That's fair. I don't have a punchline to that one. It's just awkward. It's uh, ooh, feminism. Um, I don't know. If you, that, some, some people didn't like that one as much. If you don't like my jokes, then that's, that's also fine, because uh, I'm just up here working on my Kegels. Um, so that's <laughs> fun for me. That's, uh, <laughs> one show, someone was like, what are Kegels? I was like, those are the muscles you like clench so you don't pee a little on the trampoline. You know, that's what those are. Trampoline enthusiasts, I like it. They're, they're for different. Sorry, are we going to get into Kegels? What's up about Kegels? I'm just relating very strongly. Oh, we're having like a connection. I like that. Yeah, Kegels. The 90s comedy did not deliver enough Kegel material. We can all agree, not enough Kegels in 1990s comedy for sure. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got no no resolution on the. I I was thinking about going with the they them pronoun, but I'm not committed enough. Like I'm a Libra. Like I can't even like you know what I mean. An astrology crowd, cool, I should have known. Um, I should have known. Should have opened with that. I, uh, I just, like, I just feel like I'll probably change my mind in a minute. So, and I, and I appreciate people who go with they, them, and I think it's great. And then there's always some people that are just like, oh, they, them. It's really hard to say. And they're all bummed out. <laughs> You know, and I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. I've seen your text. It's not like you give a shit about grammar. Why now? You know what I mean? You are. You talk in pictures. You know, it's not. Uh, I find that weird. So, I, I don't know. I um, yeah. I my, my as far as gender goes at this point, I've just decided like I like wearing a sports bra that is a size too small, and I like wearing a shirt that is two sizes too big, and I think my stories are funnier than I used to, so that's my foray into gender. A little more masculine than before. Woo, hey, we're doing it. Uh, I also just don't, I don't want to ever, like, ugh, the idea of trying to, like, change pronouns with my family, like, they would accept it, but you'd have to really, like, you'd have to, ex I just don't want to, I don't want to have to explain it because I feel like it would get too graphic. You know, like, I, like, well, sometimes I just think I have a penis and sometimes I don't, Mom. You know, like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, just don't want to get into it. Sometimes I feel like I connect to my feminine side because one time I made out with a guy and he made some really girly noises making out and he was cool with it, so that made me more comfortable with my femininity. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, we'll stick with she until someone else, you know. Anyways. Oh, good. That was new. Thanks for indulging me. Um... I got some, uh, I got some, I'm not like the most sensitive, I'm kind of sensitive, but I just feel like it's, uh, it's happening and I wish I knew what it was, you know, does anyone feel like it's happening, but I don't know, but it's, it's definitely happening, right? Like it's for sure, there's things, right? It's like happening. Like, like someone said the word cleaving, and I was like, yeah, it's cleaving right now. There's cleaving everywhere. I just don't, like, what is it? Ah, you know? That's for sure the now is now cleave, you know? And there's people who have better words for that. But, like, I just, here's how I knew that change was afoot. Like, I know we've been having, like, lots of conversations about Me Too and things, and I do some activism stuff, and I'm, like, happy to see people are, like, talking about hard shit. But when I really knew shit was changing, it was I was at a trans-inclusive women's-only sex party, and uh, someone yelled out from the other room, can you change the music? I don't want to get spanked by this other woman to Drake's hotline bling. And I was like, it's happening! The revolution for sure is happening. I don't know what it means. 
And then we put on the Erica Badu version and it was totally fine. <laughs> it was totally fine. It was so good. So I don't know. I don't, I got, you know, I still put on peaches. That's also an acceptable. Uh, um, I, I have, you know how the whisper network works. Sometimes you hear that someone in your community is a rapist and that happens. That is a thing I know, and it's an experience that lots of people probably have at this point. Um, my, I've had a lot of different reactions to that knowledge. Um, recently, it's turned funny. Like, I just caught myself daydreaming recently that I was really shutting a rapist that I knew down at basketball. <laughs> Like I was just really shutting him down. And like, I was just, I was so vivid. I was like in a stance and I was blocked, like he was shooting and I was like, boom, you know what I mean? And then I was like, took the ball from him and dribbled away and I scored. It was like really visual. And like, I was just, it was very satisfying. But the irony is I used to play university basketball and I had a sports psychologist who I paid because I was so terrible at visualization. I couldn't do it. The sports psychologist would be like, shoot the ball, Emma. All the Olympians use visualization. I'm like, I'm so, I'm going to shoot the ball. And then I would miss in my own head. <laughs> and I wish that I had known about like Kobe Bryant or someone earlier so that I could have been a better basketball player. <laughs> yeah, some of you came with me on that one. That's nice of you. That's nice of you for sure. I, uh, I still play basketball once in a while, and uh, I catch myself overcompensating. Like, I'll go down to Kitts Beach and I'll play with people. And like all these, are we still, we're still, woo, yes. Didn't think I'd get you on the basketball at Kitts Beach. It is low quality basketball. I will see you down there. Perfect. Well, you can confirm that it is, most people are stoned uh, in the kids' speech when they're playing basketball. And sometimes I will try too hard to uh, relate to people. And so one guy was like chatting before the game. He was just like, yeah, I went on a Tinder date the other day. And I was like, yeah, did you do her? What? Oh, no. What am I doing? Like, what? Where did that come from? Oh, the patriarchy lives in me too. You know, um, we're all part of it. And uh, so we get the game going, and uh, this this is like basketball outside is just adults forgetting about their shitty days. That's what that is. It's just that's fine. It's perfect. That's why recreation. And this 15 year old kid showed up, and we're like, good, we're gonna kick your ass and feel cool. <laughs> and turns out was not gonna be the case, because uh, this kid who also looked exactly like a young Justin Bieber, like m like lesbian Justin Bieber zone, you know that. Uh, so he shows up. He's amazing at just uh, basketball. Young Justin Bieber, who shows up, he was so good. He like kicked everyone's ass, and like he was so good. Like we were all like, Fuck. like everyone started fighting, and we we're all like, oh, like we're older, we're gonna die sooner, and you're better at shit than us. Like, oh, you know that, and um, like he was so good. I was on his team, and I still hated him. Like it was very annoying. <laughs> And he would dribble through everyone, and the worst part is he would dribble through, and he would go like, boom, 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 lay it up, and go, Kobe, like over everyone. No, my one connect doesn't like it. Yeah, just yell Kobe when he would score on you. It was terrible. On multiple levels, it was terrible. And um, so people start fighting. No one likes this. This kid's beating everyone, everyone's devolving, and people like, we finish the game, and then it's over. People like, leave, they're done. And Justin Bieber is 15. He doesn't understand that he is kind of the problem. And he comes up to me, because I got this face. And he's just like, 
why is everyone going? And I said, this is where I realized I'm a little, like a little passive aggressive. I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's this. Boom, boom, boom. Kobe! Uh. And uh, just to clarify, I air masturbated at a 15-year-old kid to tell him how immature he was being. Yeah. Like, I didn't throw it at him. I'm not, like, aggressive, but, like, I threw it to the side, like a gentleman. Um, but still, I was really embarrassed. Everyone who was still around stopped and looked at me, and I was like, I don't know what I did either. I, I got mixed feelings about this. But then I felt like a wave of relief, because I could have said this. Oh, I don't know. Boom, boom. Kobe! I don't know how to mime a shower head. Too tired to get down on the floor and pretend hump pillows. It's very labor intensive. Any other methods that I should mention? Or is anyone feeling left out? Did I not get your style, ladies? Who's, who, what other styles are there? Anyone? No? Oh, okay. We'll talk after. All right. That's been great. You guys are lovely. Let's get Cole back up here. Thanks so much. That is it. That's the show. Thanks again to all the storytellers, Ace Martins, the Lido for having us, and you, Dear listener, for listening, we'll leave you with Ace Martin's Palm Springs. Remembered 